Hello and welcome back on Economizing. I'm your host, How You, and today we're going to talk about the Washington Consensus, which refers to a set of free market economic policies supported by prominent financial institutions such as the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and the US Treasury. A British economist named John Williamson coined the term in 1989. To stabilize, to privatize, to liberalize, to globalize and balance your budget are all wise things to do. And the Washington Consensus was a set of policy recommendations for developing countries, according to the big boys in Washington. According to the World Bank, the IMF, and the US Treasury, the key to development is through regulation and fiscal discipline. In fact, these policies were designed with Latin America in mind, but soon they were also applied in other regions. Poor states that took uh, IMF loans were forced to satisfy the conditions known as structural adjustment policies, and these included to stabilize, to privatize, and so on. These programs have come under heavy fire as the one-size-fits-all remedy for countries are criticized to be doing more harm than good. Furthermore, a program that rich countries themselves fail to follow has created a lot of issues upon their application to developing nations. To look into things deeper, as we have said before, the four main goals of the reforms were to stabilize, to privatize, to liberalize, and to deregulate. Many will also include to keep inflation low and stable, to reduce trade deficits, and keep the money supply in check. As of how you would go on to privatize, countries would turn public goods such as water over to private companies to improve efficiency. With liberal eyes, you open the borders to free trade and attract foreign and direct investment. You also deregulate as you don't want to limit competition, that is, to keep players who could benefit the market in the game. Williamson initially gave 10 principles. Firstly, there is low government borrowing. This was the idea to discourage developing countries from having high fiscal debt deficits relative to their GDP. Then there is the diversion of public spending from subsidies to important long-term growth supporting sectors like primary education, healthcare, and infrastructure. Coming third, we have implementing tax reform policies to broaden the tax base and adopt moderate marginal tax rates. Subsequently, we have selected interest rates that are determined by the market. These interest rates should be positive after taking inflation into account, i.e. the real interest rate. Also on the list is to encourage competitive exchange rates through freely floating currency exchange. Then the adoption of free trade policies, resulting in the liberalization of imports by removing trade barriers such as tariffs and quotas. This also includes relaxing rules on foreign direct investment. Then there is the privatization of state enterprises. In developing countries, these industries often include railways, oil, and gas. Coming in ninth is the eradication of regulations and policies that restrict competition or add unnecessary barriers to entry. Lastly, the development of property rights. In terms of pros and cons, the phrase Washington Consensus is often used interchangeably with neoliberalism and blamed for everything that's gone wrong in the developing world. In his defense, Williamson argues that the two are not the same and that the Washington Consensus may be a damaged brand name. However, he says that in some cases it has worked, 
For example, the improvement of water supply has led to infant mortality in the poorest areas decrease by a factor of up to 24. There is also the idea that Williamson's 10 points, as we discussed, if implemented correctly, would improve the majority of economies around the world. You know, if applied, they would contribute to increasing economic stability within countries and promote economic growth. Finally, the advocates of the Washington Consensus argue that uh, great levels of market liberalization in line with the recommendations outlined should stimulate competition and consequently lead to economic growth. On the other hand, some economists argue that free trade is not always in the best interest of developing countries. Indeed, some strategic and infant industries have to be protected initially to provide long-term growth. These industries may also require more protection than usual in the form of subsidies and tariffs against imports from these developing countries. We then have privatization, which can increase productivity and enhance the quality of the product and service. In some cases, however, privatization can also lead to companies ignoring certain low-income markets or the social needs of a developing country. To conclude, though, the free market has its own faults and instabilities, as we saw with the Great Recession in 2008-2009. Increased deregulation can lead to financial volatility that can affect the entire economy. Food for thought.